take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking and we'll just read this morning verses 9 through 11. And we're going to be looking at the Sabbath commandment. As we'll see, it's a bit of a different one, a bit, of, a bit more complicated uh, in knowing for us as believers uh, what New Testament believers that is, what, what it means for us and how it applies to us in our daily life. But let's look to Exodus chapter 20 and beginning at verse number 9. Or verse number 8, I'm, I apologize. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not uh, do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. As we begin this morning, and I'll just tell you up front that this is going to be a little bit of a different sermon, uh, perhaps really just more teaching uh, than, than what we might consider preaching. Uh, and, and we're really going to come back next week uh, and look more at this commandment and, and more of its application to us uh, but one of the things that we want to do this morning is just consider uh, what this commandment has for us and, and how it applies to us, or, or if it applies to us in a literal sense. Uh, the Sabbath is a debated command. We could say that throughout church history, there's been a lot of discussion and debate regarding whether or not New Covenant believers uh, are, are still in a place where this commandment is enforced. Uh, in the same way as it was in the Old Covenant. The question then is simple for us this morning in one regard. It's a simple question. Does the fourth commandment apply to New Covenant believers in a literal, strict way? There are two basic views throughout church history. The first would answer in the affirmative. Yes, it, it still applies to us. Many believe that the commandment goes back to creation. Uh, it, it's rooted in, in creation uh, it's, it is part of God's moral law, and we'll, we'll remind you again of that difference between or that distinction between moral law and positive law. So they would say it was started at creation as part of God's moral law. Uh, it's reiterated then in the Old Testament law, and then it's transformed with the coming of Jesus, but it is still in force so that we, we they would say, should now observe the same commandment and the spirit of the commandment uh, in, in, a, in a literal sense, but on the first day of the week rather than the last day of the week. So it's, it's still in force, but it's been transformed from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week to Sunday. Other Christians, faithful Christians throughout church history have argued and believed that this was a special command given to, only to God's Old Testament people, much like the sacrificial system uh, as we talked about before, and that with the coming of Christ, that command is no longer in force, at, at least a, a literal observance of that commandment. Not to say that it doesn't teach us or that it doesn't instruct us the, or that there's nothing that we learn from the commandment, but that it is not in force in, in the idea that we literally must uh, have a day of rest in which we abstain from all work 
and, and fully devoted to the Lord. Now, your, your answer to that question might be shaped a little bit by just our historical culture and, and cultural setting. Uh, one of the things that's unique about our country here and, and the place and time in which we lived is that Christianity greatly influenced this nation. It, it in, in influenced the society, it influenced culture, it, it even influenced laws. Christian groups like the Puritans, maybe you've heard, heard of them, godly, great, great Christian people, and we have much to be thankful for uh, in them, uh, but they did observe the Sabbath. They observed the Sabbath, and, and groups like that held great sway in society at large. They influenced popular opinion as well as the laws that were legislated. So much so that there was a time here in America uh, in, in which Sundays was, were considered the Sabbath. Uh, businesses would close down. People didn't do uh, secular work, secular business really on Sunday. Even people maybe that, that weren't religious, that, that, that way of thinking had so permeated society that even unbelievers often would, would recognize the Sabbath day. Some of us, some of you that especially maybe that are a little bit older than me, but, but certainly uh, I think all of us would fit into this category, uh, we, we have grown up in a time of transition then. Uh, there, there was still a working assumption in many churches among most Christians that the Sabbath should really be kept, that Sunday should, should be a distinct day, that you shouldn't work on Sunday. Uh, it's, it should be sacred. But uh, in, in the current state of affairs, really, uh, that, that we were in, uh, we, we saw sort of a transition away from that so that the larger culture was getting rid of that. Whereas once Christianity had so influenced the, the, the secular culture that even the secular culture somewhat embraced the, the keeping of Sunday as the Sabbath day. And so for many of us, we grew up in churches where, where people would sort of decry that. Man, nobody just takes Sunday off anymore. People work, restaurants, stores are open, people go about their business uh, just like it's any other day. And, and the churches I grew up in, many people that I was around growing up, that was kind of the thing. There was this transition where the secular culture was getting rid of any observance of the Sabbath, and Christians kind of sat back and complained about that. Because what they recognized was uh, that, that there was a bigger shift that was happening. Secular culture wasn't just getting rid of the Sabbath day. Uh, the secular culture was getting rid of any kind of Christian morality. Uh, they were chucking it all out the window, but that was one of the things that was a very visible representation of it. So, so many Christians lamented that. This is sad that in our nation we're moving away from God. People just work on Sundays, they do whatever they want, and, and so forth. And so what happened for many Christians in their mind uh, was that this they would answer that because they were influenced by these uh, occurrences and, and by what was going on, that they equated... Uh, the keeping of the Sabbath with this moral principle. And, and in their mind, you, maybe even here today, you would say, yes, it, it is a moral command. Uh, but, but I think what we can recognize is that shift away from Christian morality was much bigger than just keeping the Sabbath. And so that's a bit of, I think, the historical context. But what I want to suggest to you this morning uh, is that perhaps our thinking about Sunday and its connection to the fourth commandment 
is shaped more by that historical setting and those historical developments than by what I would think is the clear teaching of Scripture. Many of us have received certain views regarding Sunday being the Sabbath from our tradition that we've, we've grown up with. And one of the things, we're, we're going through a confession uh, in, during Sunday school, and I would encourage all of you to come and attend. Jared is uh, diligently working and, and doing such a good job at, at teaching that. I think there's going to be great benefit if you will come and consistently sit under the teaching of that confession. And, and one of the things with a confession is what we're saying is, here's our heritage, here's our tradition, and that is a good thing. It is a good thing for us as Christians to recognize uh, that, that our heritage, our lineage goes back and people have believed these same things for generations and generations in the past. And so we don't want to just say tradition has no weight. But what we must recognize, whether we're talking about the confession or whether we're talking about the way that we view the Sabbath, is that, is that our traditions always have to submit to the authority of the Word of God. And what we have to do is really do the diligent work of going back to the text and not just believing it because grandma said Sunday should be kept sacred. We don't believe that just because of that. We've got to go back to those traditions and we've got to look to the word of God and we've got to say, what does the scripture say? What does the Lord declare on this matter? And I'll admit that there are, as I've already said, faithful Christians on different sides of this. You can be a faithful Christian. You may disagree with me at the end of the day. I may disagree with me at the end of this day because I've been back and forth on this issue uh, over time. Uh, no laughs. I, I was joking there. But uh, th this is something that good Christian people can agree to disagree on. It's, it's not a central issue. And, and yet we, we do recognize that it is important because at the end of the day, we're talking about a moral commandment here, or if it is a moral commandment, and does God really require this of us? Today, when you leave here, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out to eat? Are you going to go out and work in your garden? Are you going to go out and, and do other secular kinds of, of things? If I can talk Daniel into it, I may go play golf. I don't know. Uh, but, but are you going to do those kind of things? Or are you going to go home and, and devote the full day to rest, to, to being in the Word of God, and and, and just not do anything that we would consider secular? That's a big question for us. And, and it is important, isn't it? If this is a moral command, then I need to be preaching to you and exhorting to you today that, that you ought to do that, that it would be a sin for you to, to go out and, and do those sorts of things, that you need to devote the day to the Lord. So why it, while it is sort of a, what we would say, a secondary or something that we could agree to disagree on. In, in one sense, it is an important matter how we answer this question. What I would say is uh, the, the view that, that I look when I see Scripture, and we'll, we'll look at that this morning, is that the Sabbath command was a positive command. And I'll remind you what that means here in a minute. The Sabbath command was a positive command that New Covenant believers are not obligated to observe in a literal way but it does continue to instruct us and, and teach us about important spiritual truths. So the Sabbath was a positive command, teaching us spiritual truths. Do you, do you remember that distinction back when we did those introductory sermons on the distinction between moral laws and, and positive laws? Moral laws are, are unchanging. They're, they're an unchanging demand of God rooted in his own holy character and universally required of all people 
for all time. They don't change. They don't fluctuate. God is not a moral relativist. It's not okay to lie now and okay not, you know, it's not okay to lie now and okay to lie later. It, it, those kinds of things do not change. Those are moral commands. They don't fluctuate. They don't shift. They don't change. They're rooted in the very nature of God, his holy character. Positive laws, though, are commands that are not moral in nature. It, it's something that is specially commanded beyond the moral requirement. So in the New Covenant, we, we gave you examples of this, right? Baptism, is this a moral command? No, it's a positive command. It's a ritual. It's, it's something that we observe. The Lord's Supper is a positive command. Uh, this is not an issue of morality. This, this is a specific command that God has given New Covenant believers uh, to observe. And so those things change over time. The, the Old Testament sacrificial system, those were positive commands. And so when Jesus came and he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, when he offered his sacrifices, all the other sacrificial system came to an end because God specially commanded that for a certain window of time in order to teach and to instruct his people. But once the fulfillment of those things came, then, then there was no longer any need for those object lessons. And so one thing that we recognize is that these positive commands are typically tied to specific covenants. You remember that the Bible is divided. For some of you, you're like, why, why do you go through this? I'm trying to teach and instruct because some of you may not be as familiar with, with all of this. Uh, but, but the Bible's divided right into the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Adam and Eve sinned, they rebelled against God, and immediately God began to enact his plan of redemption. But he didn't just immediately send Christ. Like, we, that would be a short Bible if you just had at the story of Adam and Eve, Genesis, and then boom, Jesus came, you have the Gospels, right? No, there's a lot of stuff in between. And what God is doing there is preparing humanity. He's preparing his people. He's giving them promises to say there is a Savior who's coming so that when Jesus came, we, we would understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do, just like I, I just did. He gave the sacrificial system so that when Jesus came and he offered his life as a sacrifice, we would have some concept of what that meant. He was providing an atonement. He was washing away our sins with his blood. And so that's what that, that was all about. And so the, these uh, positive commands are tied to specific covenants. In the old covenant, there were specific commands that were given until the time of Christ. God, God made known his plan progressively over time he made promises and along with those promises he gave certain positive commands like the sacrificial system like holy days and so forth that would point people to Jesus Christ they were object lessons of a sort that would instruct the hearts and minds of God's people about their need of Christ but once Christ came we, we turned the page we, we turn to a new epic of history and those old things have passed away because the reality has come. So the argument that I'm making, just so you're aware of what I'm saying this morning, the argument that I am making this morning is, the, is that the Sabbath was one of those things. Like circumcision, like other holy days, like the sacrificial system, like the priest, like the temple, the Sabbath was a 
temporary positive command that pointed forward to Jesus, and once Jesus came, the, the object lesson comes to an end. That's the argument that I'm making. Now let me give you, I, I had seven, I, I cut them down, because I thought seven reasons that, that we believe this about the Sabbath, the seventh day, that would fit good, right? No, nobody's getting it, okay? Uh, but, but cut that down. We've got six reasons why I, I would say that the Sabbath was a temporary uh, commandment, that it was a positive command. So let me give those to you, and I believe they should be in your bulletin if you want to follow along on the back of your bulletin. First, some suggest, as I've already mentioned, that because the Sabbath is rooted in creation, it's mentioned before the Mosaic law, because of that, that means that the Sabbath uh, is, is a moral command and that it continues after the Mosaic law as well. So, again, timeline, again, God created the world, there's Adam and Eve, then there's the patriarchs, and then by the time we get to Moses, that's where the law was given. But when we read the Bible and we read this command, you notice that he roots it back in creation. He says God rested on the seventh day, and since God rested on the seventh day, now he's sanctified it, and he's made it a holy day for you, and so you are to keep this, this command. And so that's, that's the way the argument goes. But what I would say to this is I, I don't think that's a convincing argument, ultimately, because Moses, as the writer of the Pentateuch, Moses wrote the law, he gave the law that God gave to him, but he also wrote Genesis. He also wrote the history of the patriarchs. And so Moses, as the writer of the Pentateuch, often highlights, he often highlights instances in which the patriarchs did some of these things that God instituted and commanded in the law. And so it's not out of the ordinary for Moses to point back and say, Abraham did this, or Noah did this, or someone, Adam and Eve did this. And it's something that God later then instituted in, in the law, but none of these other things are universal moral commands either. So think about sacrifices. Moses gave an institution of sacri sacrifices. There was a whole sacrificial system. But when you read Genesis, if, if you've read it here lately, some of you are in that Bible reading program, right? What, what do you notice there? First of all, God, in a sense, offers a sacrifice for Adam and Eve after their sins. He comes and kills an animal to make them skins to, to cover them. Uh, but then later on we see, as well, Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices to God. Noah offers a sacrifice to God. Abraham and the other patriarchs all offer sacrifices to the Lord long before Moses ever comes and says, you're to offer these sacrifices. But do you see what Moses is doing when he's writing the law and he's writing the Pentateuch? He's pointing back to these things and he's, he's giving some historical context. He's, he's connecting what God commanded and instituted in the law with the customs and the practices of the patriarchs. The same thing could be said about tithes. Abraham tithed before the law. The children of Israel even, it seems, were observing the, God had commanded them in some way to observe the Sabbath even before Sinai. You could read that, we won't go there, but Exodus 16, 23, when, when the issue of manna comes up, God tells them don't gather manna on Sunday, uh, or on Saturday rather, because that's, that's a day of rest. And that was before God in, issued uh, the commandments. And so what, what is happening here 
is that he's tying these things back to things that were already known and, and already practiced. The Mosaic Covenant arose out of a particular historical context with positive commands uh, were, were often the things that were already known and already practiced in some sort. By incorporating them into the law, God sanctified them and he regulated them for his purposes. But these were not things that were completely unknown to the people. Secondly, the second reason I would say this is a temporary command or a positive command is, is this, that most all Christians recognize that at least some portion of the Sabbath command is a positive law. As we've already been talking about here, we, we recognize that even Christians today who would say, yes, we have an obligation to observe the Sabbath, very few throughout church history have said we do it on the seventh day. Most Christians recognize, no, that changed. It changed from the seventh day to the first day. But if this is a moral command, we, we would think there, there would have to be some sense in which it would never change. No, no part of it could change. The fact that, that we would recognize any kind of change, I think, argues for the fact that it is a positive command. Notice that in this commandment, as, as you read the text, does, does the seventh day seem to be an incidental part of this? He says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day. He's very specific, and it doesn't seem to be an incidental thing. And, and actually, if we go back and say we want to root this command back to the creation account, that becomes all the stronger because it is the seventh day in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, that says that God rested from his labor on the seventh day and, and that he made it holy. He blessed the seventh day and made the seventh day holy, is what Genesis 2, 2 through 3 say, says. So in other words, if we appeal to the creation account for the validity of the Sabbath, it would be quite a stretch then to say that the Sabbath principle is abiding, but just not on the seventh day. I don't think that's what's happening when we read Scripture. The third reason I would say that this was a positive command and not something that we're obligated to keep uh, now is that the Sabbath is, to be, is said to be a sign of the old covenant. So in Exodus 31, I encourage you to turn there, Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17. And we could find this other places, but Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above, you, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day, again, there's that seventh day, is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and that on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Do you see how 
the Lord here ties this to this specific. Remember what we said about positive commands? They're tied to specific covenants. And the Lord seems to clearly here tie this command, this Sabbath command to the old covenant. And he says, this is this is what you're doing with this command. This is why I'm, I'm issuing it is because this is going to be a sign that by you keeping this, I'm going to sanctify you. That word sanctify means to set you apart. I'm going to distinguish. Here's all of humanity, and I'm taking you out of all of humanity, and I'm giving you certain rules and regulations, certain things that you're going to keep that are going to make you distinct from all of the other peoples on the earth, and you're going to do that, and those things are going to set you apart, that you are my people, and that I have made a special covenant with you. There are all kinds of signs that God gave. There were the food regulations. Everybody else eats pork, right? <laughs> but, but the Jewish people, as a sign that we're distinct, they're sort of cultural markers, we're distinct. We have all of these food laws that we observe. And, and there were other things, but this was one of those things. It's a sign. It sets you apart as distinct from the other nations. And what's interesting is when you go back to the Old Testament prophets, one of the things that you'll find uh, is that the Old Testament prophets, not only do they prophesy against Israel, but, but at other times they prophesy against the surrounding nations. And one of the things that you'll see there is that they will, they will condemn the surrounding nations for their idolatry and for their sexual immorality and for their injustice and for all of their wickedness. But the Old Testament prophets never seem to condemn the other nations around them for not keeping the Sabbath. Now, the Old Testament prophets do condemn God's people because they say God has given you this Sabbath and you were to keep it as a sign, but they don't point that out toward the other nations. And so the sign, the Sabbath, was meant for a sign of the old covenant people. We're not part of the old covenant. We're new covenant believers now that Christ has come. Fourthly, moral commands are tied to the character of God, but the Sabbath is not. Every moral command, you ever stop and think about this? And we've talked about this, but every moral command has some corresponding reality in the character of God. So we, we could take each moral command and we could demonstrate how they reflect God's own moral character. For instance, commands one and two, not to worship any other gods, not to make any idols. God would not worship anything else and, and he would do nothing to distort his image in, in that way. He's zealous for his own glory and he demands of us that we worship him alone and that we do it in the way that he's revealed. So God keeps the first and second commandments. He does it in a way that's unique to him, but, but it's a demonstration of his own moral character. What about command uh, number three, to, to keep the, the name of the Lord holy? Well, God would not disgrace his own name. In fact, he works in every way to bring glory and honor to his name, to bring reverence to his name. Think about the other commandments. God would not lie. God would not steal. God can't steal because everything belongs to him, but, but he would not steal. Uh, God, not, God would not be faithless to a covenant by, as we would be in, in committing adultery. All of those moral commands are connected to God's own moral character. There's a correspondence there between what he requires of us and who he is in his own moral character. That's why when the Bible tells us to obey these commands, it, it can say something like this, you shall be holy. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. When God gives us a moral command, he's demanding that we act 
like him. But when it comes to the Sabbath or any other positive command, he's not issuing something that he himself does. It's a special command given to his people. Baptism, circumcision, the sacrificial system, those things provide a picture of some dimension of God's redemptive plan or serve some other purpose for his people, but they do not serve to reflect God's holy character. There's no attribute or virtue of God in which he rests. You know, as if we point to God and say, hey, God rests and, and we should rest in that sense. And of course, the, the commandment of, uh, that's tied to the creation account, and we won't go into this, but, but when it says that God rested on the seventh day, it doesn't mean that God completely ceased all work. It means simply that he rested from his work of creation. God continued to work, and Jesus makes that clear in John, 15, or John 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, my father is always working, and so am I. Fifthly, this morning, the Sabbath command is the only command of the Ten Commandments that is not reiterated in the New Testament. So any of the other commandments, not to commit idolatry, not to lie, not to steal, not to commit adultery, uh, any of those other commandments, you could go to the pages of the New Testament and and Paul or Peter or the Apostle John would would issue uh, commands and exhortations to New Covenant believers to say, you ought to... Speak the truth. Put a, you know, Paul says that, Ephesians. Put away falsehood and speak every man the truth with his neighbor. And, and so all of those moral commandments we find reiterated again in the New Testament. But when it comes to the Sabbath commandment, you, you would look in vain to find any New Testament passage in which the apostles would urge New Covenant believers to keep the Sabbath day holy. There's no command there. There's no reiteration of that command. And that is especially surprising given the fact, given the fact that the new covenant believers were, were Gentiles. Uh, this idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy would be as foreign to them as if I showed up and I began preaching and teaching, you know, you all need to take a rest day on Thursday. Every Thursday, you need to tell your employer that you're not going to be in on Thursdays and, and you don't need to do any work and, and you just got to stay at home and, and you need to rest and you need to worship God. If I began to, to teach you that, some of you might be like, yeah, Thursday sounds like a good day, right? Uh, but, but it would be foreign to you. It would be strange to you. I would really have to exhort you to do that because it would be completely out of your tradition, completely out of any practice that you have. And so it was in the New Testament age. These Gentile people, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, all of them had never had any practice of observing the Sabbath day. So so if the New Testament church was going to observe this Sabbath day, we would expect to see some exhortations given from the apostles. Yes, and you need to keep the Sabbath. Don't lie. Uh, Don't commit adultery. Don't do these things. And also, you need to begin taking a day of rest. But nowhere in the New Testament do we find that commandment issued or reiterated from the Old Testament. In fact, you could go to the Jerusalem Council and that they were wrestling with that. Remember, Peter goes and begins to preach to Gentiles and people begin to believe and they re- these Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and the Jewish believers are saying, what, what do they have to do? 
we're all Jewish. We've all observed the old covenant. They've believed in Christ now, so they're part of God's people. But do they need to come back and, and keep the old covenant? And what is said in the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts is no. The, the, the specific thing that is brought up is the issue of circumcision. Uh, but, but the answer is sent back. Look, they don't need to take on these practices from the old covenant. If Christ expected his new covenant people to literally and strictly observe the Sabbath and to transfer. This is the thing. It isn't just obeying the command, but now we've got to make the connection as well that we transfer it from the seventh, the seventh day, Saturday, to Sunday. We, we're expected to know all of that and do that as, as something that's a moral issue in our lives, and yet there's no, there's no command given. There's no explicit uh, command that is, that is laid out for new covenant believers I find that hard to believe. And there are certainly times, listen, there are times when we come to the Bible and, and we've got to wrestle and we've got to take several texts and we tie them together. Something like the issue of the Trinity, right? There's no one text that says God is triune, but we see there are texts that says there's one God. We see that Jesus is God. We see that the Holy Spirit of God is God. So we kind of weave all of those together and, and we have the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and so there are times that Things are not explicitly stated, and yet we believe them. But on such a practical matter that would really be life-altering, it seems to me that there would be some sort of command in the New Testament for us as believers. Sixthly, and finally this morning, the, the most natural reading of some crucial New Testament texts indicate that the Sabbath is not enforced for new covenant believers. So this is a step beyond. Not only do we not have any commandments issued in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath, there are at least three, and probably more, but three very clear passages which seem to indicate the exact opposite is true. Not only are we not required uh, to, to do this, but there, there's no obligation for us to do it at all. So let me encourage you to turn to these and we'll run through them quickly. Uh, and, and I told you this morning it's a, a, a bit more teaching than, than preaching perhaps, but uh, hopefully this, is, this will be helpful to you. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 6. One person, Paul says, esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, Paul is here dealing with issues in the, new, new, in the church uh, which were debatable matters. Again, you had Jews and you had Gentiles. They had very different backgrounds, very different customs. And so when you come, bring them together into one body uh, in, in which they have various very different religious backgrounds, there's going to be debated matters. There's going to be rubs there. There's going to be things that are just difficult. Some people recognize certain holy days. Some people thought we shouldn't eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And, and there, were, there was this dissension and, and division. And Paul is essentially saying in these verses that those sorts of matters are matters of conscience. That, that one person esteems one day as better than another day. And another person looks at every single day and, and considers all the days are alike. And, and he goes on to urge them to, to demonstrate love in the midst of those distinctions. 
But you see here that Paul essentially says, he essentially sides with the, the stronger group in this text to say, look, there's no moral requirement. There's no moral requirement for you to esteem one day as better than another day or more sacred or more holy than every day. In fact, what he says, if that's your opinion, then what you need to do is esteem every day as to the Lord. Live every day as unto the Lord. And the Lord is, for the Apostle Paul, Christ. Live every single day for Christ. Devote every day, sanctify every single day for Christ. But he doesn't come down and say, well, there is the Sabbath day, and you need to recognize that. But other than that, you're free to, to do as you please. A second text, Galatians 4, 8. Galatians 4.8, and I would encourage you to, to turn there, but Galatians 4.8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And I, I think when Paul uses that in Galatians, the elementary principles... I think often, and, and there would be different opinions about that, but I take that to be these, these regulations from the Old Testament, the food laws, circumcision, and so forth. They're the elementary principles. They're elementary because God was using them as object lessons to teach his people, like we do elementary students, right? We use object lessons, and that's what some of those things were in the law. So you're turning back to these elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Listen what he says here. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. What he's saying here, these are the Galatians were, were people who were, were uh, Gentiles, but who had believed the gospel. And then these Judaizers had come into the Galatians and said, okay, you believed in Jesus. You're part of the people of God. But now what you have to do is you need to be circumcised. You need to start keeping the law of Moses. If you really want to be part of the people of God, there are all these commands in the Old Testament and you need to observe them. And we have a whole calendar of special days that you need to observe. There are yearly special days. There are monthly special days. There, there are weekly special days. And he does not here in this text specify that he's talking about the weekly Sabbath, but that is the weekly holy day within Judaism, within the Old Covenant. And, and now Paul's saying, listen, when you tell these people that they, can be, that they believe in Christ, but in order to be truly part of the people of God, they also have to keep these old covenant regulations, you're actually distorting the gospel. You're obscuring the gospel so that you're saying, really, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ plus your observance of the old covenant law. And that's why Paul says at the very end of that, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. By them taking on the Old Covenant law as, as a means of observing and, and being part of the people of God, they're adding to the gospel. They're adding to Christ. The third passage, and we'll end with that, this this morning, is Colossians. And this is actually the clearest of, of all three of these texts. Colossians 2, verse 13. And it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him, having forgiven us our, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And so that's that ministry of condemnation of, of the law. But we have had that, that record of debt canceled by the work of Christ. He says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink. These are the same issues Paul dealt with in the book of Romans. Food and drink, those regulations having to do with that. Don't let anybody judge you about what you eat because you're not under the Old Testament regulations, under the Old Testament dietary laws. So there should be no judgment about that. You can eat pork. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but Christ is the substance. Do you see what he's saying here? Here, the Apostle Paul links the, the keeping and the observance of Sabbath days with, the, with these other positive commands, with food and dietary laws, and, and with other Old Testament holy days. He's got this same pattern. You've got festivals, which are yearly celebrations. You've got new moons, which are monthly celebrations. And you've got Sabbath days, which are weekly celebrations. All of those were given in the Old Covenant. And the Apostle Paul tells these Colossian believers, don't let anyone judge you in regard to your observance or non-observance of these holy days. You don't have to observe the dietary laws and you do not have to observe the calendar from the Old Covenant. Here, he goes even further than in these other passages because he directly cites these Sabbath days. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to your keeping of a Sabbath. And notice what he says in verse number 17 because this is that definition that I gave you of what a positive command is and, and how it functions. He says, these are a shadow of things to come, but Christ is the substance. That's, that was the purpose of those positive laws in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, the priest, the holy days, all of it was pointing forward to Christ. Now Christ has come. These were the shadow. He's the substance. He fulfills it. Once the substance comes, we don't need the shadow anymore. So we're not under any regulation of keeping the Sabbath. There's so much more that could be said and needs to be said, and we'll come back to this next week and hopefully we'll do some more preaching. But this really needed to, we needed to walk through these texts. I think if we're going to have a, a well-informed view of, of where we're coming from, and I mentioned earlier uh, that there may be some of you that you, you hear everything that I've said this morning, you're like, I'm not convinced. I think we still need to observe this weekly uh, day of rest. And what I would say to you is Romans applies. If, if you honor one day as, as more sacred, more holy than another, do it to the Lord and do it for his glory, but do it in love, recognizing that other people do not, recon, uh, do not they honor every day as, as the same. Let me just close this morning and we're gonna come back next week and we're gonna see how does this text apply because there are spiritual truths that we still need to understand from, from this commandment. But let me just close with, I think, a good summary. This is the Helvetic Confession, uh, and, and I think that I would be in line, and, and this would be a good articulation of, of where I stand. It's the article on the Lord's Day, and it says, Hence we see in the ancient church, churches that there were not only certain set hours in the week appointed for meetings, but that also the Lord's Day itself, ever since the apostles' time, was set aside for them for a holy rest, a practice now rightly observed by our churches for the sake of worship and love. 
In this connection, we do not yield to the Jewish observance and to superstitions. For we do not believe that one day is any holier than another, or think that rest in itself is acceptable to God. Moreover, we celebrate the Lord's Day and not the Sabbath as a free observance. We, as New Covenant believers, celebrate the Lord's Day as the day that He was resurrected, and it is a free observance. There, we're not bound by these Old Testament regulations. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word that gives clarity. Uh, we pray, Lord, that You would give each one of us clarity on this matter. We, we, we pray that You would guide us. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient to you. We, we certainly want to obey every command that you give to us, but we do not want to lay on the consciences of men and women commands that we have given, burdens that you have not given to them. So we pray that you would just uh, give us guidance in this. We pray, Lord, no doubt there are differing opinions on this, even among our own body uh, in this church. And, and we pray that you would give us a spirit of love uh, and, and an ability to keep this as a secondary matter. Uh, God, we, we just pray for your grace in all of these things, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.